Rand wakes up and he's like pinned up on a thing Very, in front of yeah, uh, Lanfear. Yeah, in front of Lanfear, who's on this like crazy looking throne and they're in the middle of a desert atop of these mountaintops. She's wearing this insane dress. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, she looks so fucking cool. And she's like talking to him and like his whole thing for Maureen is like, don't listen to her. She's, you know, going to mess with your mind and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to listen to anything this woman's saying to me right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> she, she, all you know, my defenses it's... are gone. <laughs> I'm just like, holy shit. <laughs> Welcome, friends, to episode 287 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm filmmaker James Bailey. And I'm writer Luke Elliott. And this week we discuss the second half of season two of Rafe Judkins' TV series, The Wheel of Time. All right, so here we are. We're wrapping up our coverage from book two and season two of The Wheel of Time. And, you know, season one left us with some some wants and some hope for the future. And now we're done with season two. We're, how are you feeling about this, Luke? I am overall happier than I was at the end of season one. Um, sure, the show s- continues to have some stuff that makes me raise my eyebrows. Um, some some wonky stuff every now and then. Every now and then can get a little cheesy. Um, but overall, I think this is the right direction. It's an improvement. Uh, a lot of things are coming together for me. I like some of the changes they've even made to the to the storylines. Um, not necessarily all of them, but overall, I just, I'm feeling more optimistic about Wheel of Time going forward after this season. And, um, I'm happier with what was on screen. Um, this is still a big fantasy. And when I mean fantasy, I mean like high fantasy, like tons of magic, lots of effects. Um, this is the kind of stuff that people who, you know, got into Game of Thrones who weren't fantasy fans. I think this is what they were a little bit worried about. I don't know if it's ever going to appeal to those people, right? The people who are like fantasy curious, but not really not willing to commit to the big fantasy stuff. Um, this is always going to be, I think, more for people who are like, no, I just love fantasy and I don't care. Um, and and I, I fall in that crowd. So I'm enjoying it if, with a few reservations. Where are you at? I'm in the same boat, right? Season one had had some things that we enjoyed and then the end i feel like they really didn't do themselves a lot of favors especially moving into a season two and and continuing robert jordan's source material but here i am feeling like through all the changes through all the stuff that's going on this is one of my favorite fantasy shows on tv and i know that that's because there's not a ton of high fantasy on tv but i'm enjoying the hell out of it and i think there are some specific bright spots in this show that you're like when it's doing what it does well it blows you away. You're like, oh my God, this is exactly what I wanted out of Robert Jordan's work. And then there's just some question marks that you don't understand why they do the things that they do. And maybe they'll pay off in a, in a satisfying way. But ultimately, they take the good with the bad. I'm really like happy with the show. I want to see more of it. And yeah, speaking of bright spots, just like some of these perform- young performers that were unknown that they found are really carrying their weight alongside people like, you know, Rosamund Pike as, as Moiraine. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, this this it took me on some some twists and turns. And I was curious because I've only read two books, how much we would get into book three. And I feel like with some with some outside research that I've seen, we basically jumped all the way through book three in there somewhere as well. Or a lot of a lot of the plot points happened. Let's talk about it since you mentioned it here. Um, Rafe Judkins has confirmed this. He tweeted about it. Uh, He talked to Decider about it. I read an article 
Um, he basically said that book three and book two to him had very similar plots. And there's some development that happens in book three, it sounds like. But other than that, like it was kind of the same plot twice in a row with some different change. I don't know. It's been a while since I've read book three, so I need would need to read it again to confirm that for myself. But um, because of that, he wanted to get into book four for season three. In order to do that, he needed to make sure everybody was ready for a lot of the stuff that's going to be in book four, uh, The Shadow Rising, which I think is a lot of people's favorite book. It's I know it's up there for me. It's been a while again since I've read the series. I, wow. I remember being really fond of that one. That's awesome. And we're prepping for that, it feels like. Um, and because of that, like, yes, stuff still feels rushed to me. Um, that was going to but... be a big point for me is is it does feel like we're flying by major yeah. moments and, and specifically to like just the the moments that let you live with the characters and live in the world a little bit because it's so breakneck. And yeah. I think I've caught on to this more as I've read more of Jordan's work and I'm seeing how the, how the pacing of the show, I'm definitely starting to pick up on like, oh man, we're, we're flying through this. And I know it's because they want to get into the meat of it because yeah. that's what kind of makes this world unique. And you're going to have to continue to do that and keep the pace high. If you, if you know, if you set yourself up for success and say, this is as popular and as successful a show as we ever could have dreamed you're probably still going to only have eight or nine seasons at most before everybody's kind of aged out of their roles and it's just taking too long. And, you know, in, in, in that ideal scenario, you want to be wrapping up the final book by that final, by that season, which means you're going to have to start tackling two of these massive tomes a season approximately. And, you know, honestly, even at the pace we're moving right now, it's going to be tough to get there. Um, you know, I haven't done a whole series analysis to figure out if there's other spots where you can you can jam some stuff together. I know there's kind of a slog in the middle books that people talk about. I assume that means that there's some of that stuff that can get condensed. Um, but that's all a challenge for Rafe Judkins, and I see him working towards that. And some of that un is is leading to, I think, some frustrations in like book purists. But yeah, I think just what he's doing right now in this current season was uh, more in line with what I would have wanted and expected um, than like say the first season where there were some outside things going on obviously that exacerbated problems but it just wasn't handled as uh, elegantly as I think he did here. This this was ramping up and I think season one did this as well like each episode I was enjoying more I was getting more invested they were doing bigger effects um, like larger showcases of, of what this world is going to be like and he getting here to the end, it did that again. I thought, felt like episodes were getting better and better and better. And then nearing the end here, we can we can get into some of the specifics, but it did feel like they took kind of a, and maybe this has to do with jamming those books together, but it felt like very clean and organized and it came together very neatly in a way I didn't expect because it's unlike the book, uh, yeah. at least in The Great Hunt. The final episode or two left me wanting a little bit more, but overall, and I think that comes down to my imagination of what this book could have been. Yeah. Uh, at nearing the end but uh, you know for for what it is you know a, a fan, high fantasy show on an amazon budget i'm pretty pretty blown away and i all i want is to to get more now i'm like give me season three i want to read book three i want to read book four <laughs> i'm ready let's yeah. jump into some more i think we'll have to do a book three in 2024 just as kind of a standalone coverage um that way we're ready for season three in 2025 which seems the likely release date um and and that point we would read a book four i think there's a lot of great new newcomers that i want to highlight here um in this season uh we got elaine tracon for the first time uh portrayed by uh sierra coveney i'm not sure if that's how you pronounce the first name but 
Um, I thought she was good. She's a, a major character going forward. I don't think it's a spoiler to say. Um, I like to see her getting involved in things here early. Um, you've touched on, even in, in our coverage of The Great Hunt, how it still f- kind of feels like the Rand show. And um, it takes a little while in these early books for Robert Jordan to truly embrace this big ensemble cast and start to make it feel like it's a shared story and not as much like Rand's story with some other people who are also in it, um, which it kind of feels like early on here. And I think the show is doing well to like not have that be the case at all. As much as like he's the Dragon Reborn, we're making sure everybody else is getting involved and having important stories. You mentioned in, in our first part of this season two coverage how Sierra Coveney, who plays Elaine Tricand, kind of fits exactly what you were imagining. And the more I saw yeah. of her and the more I saw her come into that role nearing the end of the season, I was like, this is Elaine to me now. I, I really feel like this is Elaine. And uh, Kai, while maybe she didn't have a ton to do, Kai Alexander as Min, um, it does feel like she has the chops to be like an important character going forward. Like she she definitely, I mean, specifically some of the stuff she has with Matt, I felt was pretty, you know, pretty intense scenes and, and they uh, worked well with each other. Yeah, totally. Um, and a couple more to shout out. Uh, we had uh, the return of Alvaro Morte as Loghain. Um, and Loghain, I think his performance is like a standout here. Like he doesn't get a ton of screen time, but man, is he captivating every time he's on screen. I kind of realized that this time around, every time we visit in with him and he has this mad look and the way he always seems to know something and, and kind of um, have this dark presence. I don't know. I really like what he's doing. He, to me, yeah. he's, he's one of the standouts. I expected him to have a much dim- diminished role after the first season. And I thought maybe some of the stuff that goes on with him was going to be book two material, like stuff with Loghain. I knew he would be somewhat important because he seemed like the first false dragon we saw. Um, but yeah, the, the, I think the, they're they're finding places to put this actor because he's so good as Loghain. And he's sort of yeah. like... he. I mean, he is one of those, those I mean, actors. And Loghain that, was kind of gone from book two, right? Like, I don't remember much Loghain at all. Yeah. I Maybe he was mentioned. Was. I think he was mentioned being studied or something, but like we, we didn't get any, I don't think we got any scenes with him. So I think this is also Rafe Judkins being like, I'm going to keep this character present because he might become more yeah. important later on. Well, and it does make me think that maybe in book three, there's some stuff going on with Loghain as well. Um, I don't remember. We'd have to, we, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that one day. Um, but really, I, I've been, I'm working my way up to talking about Nokasha O'Keefe, who um, admittedly, I was more on the fence about early. I think the Celine uh, sort of play acting was okay. Um, it, it was a little kind of odd at first. It took me a little bit to come fully on board. But once she embraced being Lanfear, and embraced just how like over the top and dominatrixy she she was. Um, she really was some yeah. some of the dream sequences. Um, I I was just taken with this performance. This is probably my standout of the season. Absolutely love her, and I'm so glad. Um, you know, we, we'll talk about what went with on with the, the Shamael and everything, but I'm just so happy with what they're doing with the Forsaken. Mm-hmm. I find it really interesting. There are always interesting characters in the book, but I, I love what the show's doing. It's really compelling. Like, I feel like there's outside of there just being Balzaman as a major threat, these Forsaken seem really formidable on their own. Yeah. And they're all, I love that they have motivations outside of like, we're just minions of the dark one and we're here yeah. to be bad. And we always hear that have them fighting amongst themselves and having, they have interesting relationships with each other and histories with each other and grievances. And that's always going to be fascinating going forward when you have these otherwise 
you know, the generals of the Dark Army wouldn't be that interesting, right? If they weren't identifiably human like this. Yeah, I, I did think she was a standout as well. The way that she plays off Ishamael, uh, the way they play with each other and they're kind of, yeah. they have that relationship that's been built up over such a long period of time. And they, there's, they, like I said, they seem so powerful. Like, we'll get into some specifics later, but uh, she was excellent and I want to see more uh, because... Yeah. I think we oh, will I'll, see more. I'll be talking about her more as we get to her specific moments. So you mentioned your standout. That was your standout for the season. I'm going to say I thought my standout for the season was going to be Zoe Robbins, who was naive through the first half. I was like, wow, just blown away with what she's being given at, uh, for material. And I actually felt like she was she was handling it well. And I like naive as a character, very like defiant and strong willed on her own. Um, and sometimes maybe that leads her down the wrong path. But I love I love that character. But then we get into the second half of season two and and Madeline Madden just yeah. completely blew me away with I, I thought she was a good actor. I thought that she was a good a good casting for Egwene. Uh, she was doing the innocent thing very well. But then we get her into this material and I was like, this is like Emmy Award worthy. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> this. This was really, really. I'm pretty sure this stuff. show is way too fantasy to get any Emmy considerations, but um, not yet. Wait not, till, not to say yeah. it wasn't deserved because I agree. She was great. Yeah. Um, and she, the material she, is so heavy and there's so, so it's like yeah. the defiance with the trauma. It's it's pretty incredible stuff. We'll get we'll circle back to this because I like some of the changes that, that were implemented with that storyline, too. Um, yeah, she was one of the one of the standouts of our original cast, I would say, who's especially someone who hasn't had much of a chance to shine and finally got one. Uh, totally. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So the fifth episode is called Damane. Perrin and Hopper leave Elias to save Loyal and the Shinarans. Perrin then returns to the town where they were attacked, which has now been seized by the White Cloaks, led by Dane Bornhold and Eamon Valda. During the following fight, Perrin saves Avienda, a young Aiel woman they had imprisoned, and spares Bornhold's life. Avienda pledges to help Perrin rescue the others as she is indebted to him for saving her. Meanwhile, Suroth is demoted for disobeying the orders of the Shanshan leader, Turok. However, Ishamael gains his favor by delivering him the Horn of Valir. Later, Suroth receives Nynaeve, Elaine, and Egwene as Damane from Leandrin who acts on Ishamael's orders. However, Elaine and Nynaeve manage to escape and are taken in by Rima and Aes Sedai hiding in Falm. Egwene is leashed and presented to Turok by Suroth. Varen arrives at the White Tower to investigate the disappearance of the three girls. This leads her to evidence for the existence of the Black Aja, Aes Sedai sworn to the Shadow. Rand and Moiraine manage to escape Lanfear and take refuge with Anavir and her son Barthenes. Moiraine decides to have Rand enter the world of dreams, where he might be able to learn what Ishamael is planning. Upon entering, Rand finds himself immediately captured by a waiting Lanfear. Let's let's circle in on Avienda, our introduction of the Aiel, really the first time we've gotten some characters that we're actually uh, kind of interacting with. And this is through a meeting with Perrin, Avienda, portrayed by Ayula Smart. I thought really good. Doesn't have a ton to do here early, but... Um, striking, uh, immediately makes an impression, has a badass fight sequence here early against a bunch of the Children of the Light. And I think you're starting to get a sense for how just formidable Aeol are supposed to be yeah. through Avienda. And yeah, what was your what was your impression for this character? Well, obviously not in, in the Great Hunt. So I'm not assuming... Not in the Great Hunt at all. <laughs> yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but that's okay. I thought it was cool. You know, I don't know that Perrin had a ton to do outside of 
outside of whatever Rand was up to in the Great Hunt. So it's it's cool to see. And again, I'm torn. And, and I think it's be I, I like to see our trio of Taviran together in the book. And like I said before, I'm worried that as their stories get bigger and bigger, we might not see them together all that often because that's how these fantasy stories tend to go. Is they split up a lot of these people and they have their own paths. And then when they do come back together, it's these monumental things that are near the end of books. I don't know that that's how this will go, but I do worry about that. And splitting them up in this show like that, it, it's so good for highlighting their individual stories. So Perrin gets to actually jump into the Elias stuff and have his own path with these Aiel women. I, I miss seeing the our, our main cast together. But just talking about this stuff with Perrin, I like that Perrin saves her because that that makes sense to me as Perrin. Like he, yeah, he would go out of his way to save somebody, even though they're potentially dangerous. She um, talks about this concept of toe and how she has toe now that she owes him like a life debt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're extremely formidable too. Like I'm, I feel that like they're basically the best warriors in the show. We haven't been that hasn't been out and out stated, but it's pretty pretty obvious to me from the book and from the show yeah. at this point and it's yeah those, I just, it's like it's it's you know subjective right because it's like you got sword masters you got all these yeah, you know blade masters yeah blade masters you got land who's clearly very good then you have aeol and it's like not all aeol are created equal obviously they're sure. all really good fighters but even then among them you're gonna have some who are better than others but um, I, and in a straight up one-on-one -on -one fight who would win it's 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 it can be fun to debate sometimes yeah. but Aiel betting on Aiel is probably a pretty safe bet in most circumstances I just can't the, she takes out like 20 white cloaks right here so I assume that like maybe she's like an, an elite member for them but uh I I just it, we keep hearing about these Aiel wars too and I'm like so somebody fought battlefields full of these women and it's like you know they seem yeah. pretty formidable yeah we get uh the dama damane we get lady sroth here um you know she was introduced earlier but we get a little more of her um as the the, the betrayal by leandrin plays out and yeah. um we see egwene getting getting leashed um yeah. yeah it's it's just as horrific as you would have imagined and seeing it and they played it up too in the show. There's no question about it. It is horrible and the stuff that, that goes on, but just the setup of it, right? Uh, Egwene has no idea what this stuff is, right? She's just like immediately leashed and then she's like coming to realize how bad this can be. And we we hear of like a blue Aes Sedai in the other room who, you know, we come to find out sitter. didn't last very long. Yeah, it was a sitter. And uh, she's Which like, is like a leader of the Aja. I don't know if you remember that yeah. detail. Yeah. And so she but she, when we first get in there, she's just like repeatedly chanting something. And yeah. that mean, makes you think like, oh, she's my God, like, they've broken yeah. this person. Um, and so that's what Egwene is facing down is is like a sitter of the, the Aes Sedai, uh, something that they, they couldn't even stand up against. And it is terrible. It is like unbelievably scary. Uh, the, the chain thing that the, the Adam that they put on, like sort of turning into armor is pretty crazy. And then the effects that they use for like the, the means of torture and the way that it's affecting them is like this vibrating crazy. Yeah. Like I don't even know what to, to describe it as other than that. It's just like this crazy <laughs> vibration that seems yeah. like they're, they're just like being torn apart from the inside or something. I like it better than the like idea of, a you know, getting hit with a switch a hundred times or a thousand times or whatever is kind of described in the book. I think this is, this visually works a little better. Yeah. Um, I I continue to be very impressed with the look of the Shanchen in this show. Like I'm amazed at what they're able to do with these costumes, these masks, 
the the way that they're shaving their heads and the, these long nails and like maybe they're a little excessive with the sound effects sometimes when they're waving them around but like um it's, yeah exactly it gets a little it gets a little too much no but i i agree with um, you it it's so cool. cool yeah if you're gonna yeah. make a fantasy show and you're gonna have a, a culture and a people like this if you can put this level of production value into it it adds so much to the show because even in the times when i'm like oh it looks a little hokey or this person's not working for me everything else in the scene is working the production design looks amazing this looks like they spent so much money on this the costuming and and it's really well realized like you said the details of like even like the scars on the on the Seroth's faces that they have and then sometimes they paint the over sold it. you mean the sold yeah sorry yeah yeah and then like these like beetle back things that they have that sort of protrude out of their back of their neck like it just looks very striking yeah, it's in like a lot of their even their just like standard clothes, and then it's also reflected in the armor. It's like this insectoid look. Yeah, that they're all, and that's from the book. But like the way they've realized that on screen, I think is is you know pretty incredible. And and I got to shout out their you know their entire design team for doing yeah. this because it it's, it's looked striking so every time. Yeah, it could have looked so bad, right? If you tried to just imagine people who were wearing like insect styled armor. Yeah. could have looked like a Beetleborg, you know, they could have been running around <laughs> looking like like Power Rangers or something. But instead, they look really cool. And it looks like a, you know, a culture that's been well realized. Yeah, as totally. terrible as they are. I do want to mention again, like I thought maybe there would be some redeeming qualities for like most of this, the cultures. But this like seeing the slavery angle to this, I can't even imagine later in this story of rooting for anyone who's Shantan. Uh Now, granted, I'm sure that there are some offshoots that like don't agree with these are extremists maybe, but it seems like they're coming from the Empress. So it's, it you know, from the top. At this point, we haven't been given any reason to like any Shanshin characters really. No. But um, they did have yeah. an interesting relationship. It's almost like an honor. She th she feels that Egwene should be honored, but it's like Rena, totally yeah. not. It's the, I, I love that because it's like the psychology of a true believer. And this is like, this is how this person, Rena, is able to sell this system of slavery to herself. And one of the ways clearly that she's able to do that is this idea of like, you know, I want a Damane who has bought into this system and who we can have this relationship and you can respect me as your soul dom. And like the problem is to buy into any of that, you have to accept a completely dehumanizing proposition that Egwene is unwilling to accept. And I liked how much she pushed up against it, um, even despite just how you know much she's being punished for it and she can't drink the water and just like all that i think we get into some of that next episode but like yeah it's really tough on her but i love that she she's showing a lot of strength here and i think this is like a really good character building moment for Egwene going forward and i mentioned in the last episode like you can't she's a changed person after this like yeah tra the trauma and all like it's it's she she can't be that innocent person from two rivers any longer that is you know so excited to i mean she probably will still be excited to learn in the white tower but she was just this young girl that went to the white tower to start to become like a, an Aes Sedai, and then for her to then be pulled into all of this like there's she's a changed person after this and and uh like i said i hope she can i hope she can find some way to cope with it because that's i feel like it's just pure trauma for the rest of the this character's life yeah i mean we'll see um let's circle back to where leandrin actually makes the sort of betrayal reveals she's black Ajah and um, passes them over to Lady Suroth. It seems like there's this like bickering moment where Suroth is saying like, you'll be leashed to one day. And then Leandrin's like, I'm going to kill you one day. Mm -hmm. Even though we both serve the same master, they're like not happy with each other. And Leandrin is actually the one who releases 
uh, Nynaeve and I believe Elaine as well um, as she's leaving as just like a final fuck you to Lady Suroth, I guess. Yeah, like give him and I think that was a little bit of a shift. I don't remember that happening, playing out that way in the book. I preferred the book still just because this felt like Leandrin wasn't as powerful in this in the this scenario leandrin was intimidated whereas in the book i felt like they were both on equal footing and they were like mm. we will clash it one day and i will kill you um, and i can obviously yeah. see like a leandrin outliving a character like this um, but i did like yeah she, she, they're giving her more layers i think she's more two-dimensional so far as i've seen yeah. her leandrin i guess not confirmed dead but i think lady Surat does get blown up <laughs> <laughs> later in the season does she um, yeah yeah i think yeah. so and I, again i don't know that oh was right right, right. yeah, yeah. the naval yeah. thing at the end yeah <laughs> yeah no I, I i see what you're getting at um but i i think they're maybe making leandrin again I'm, I'm getting the sense that they're combining her with a couple other characters at least one other character so far and because of that i think they're making this version of leandrin a little more complex maybe than the version yeah. of leandrin we get in the book well, she definitely is. That's what I was saying. Like she's she's more well realized. She's a three dimensional character, in my opinion. Whereas the the book so far, as I've seen her, feels a little more two dimensional. With yeah. her motivations being added in, and then some of the stuff that we get with Lanfear here in this season, that like yeah. will propel her forward. And then yeah, just moments of being like, yeah, I'm evil and everything, but I'm gonna release you. And as on my way out of here, like that adds complexity to a character. Like where where are her motivations? If she was asked to deliver these people to this the uh Shanchen, but then also is like you know not fully complying so i gotta bring up one of my frequent harps um or, or complaints that uh i do bring up on the show from time to time and it rears its ugly head here again and it, this is not going to be the last time we're going to see it even in these episodes but Nynaeve and and elaine get like shoulder checked into a wall Oh yeah, and both of them are knocked unconscious by a warder, just like by yeah. a warder. And then they we transition to another scene where they're waking up and fine, yeah, and they're finding out they're in a different place. And this is like one of the weirdest TV sins that just continues to happen all the time. It's like why are TV writers are like incapable of just having a character get taken somewhere else? They have to knock them unconscious and have the moment where they wake up and don't recognize their surroundings and then are fine every freaking time. They never suffer any lingering consequences for being knocked unconscious. Is it just meant to be a thing to save time because they're like this conversation that they would have to have to go along with it? Or it's a transition thing. It's like we can't just have we can't just have them taken somewhere else. We have to make it more interesting and more dangerous. So we're knocked unconscious. There's a lot of like, uh, you know, I'm thinking back to like Egwene and, and Elaine like waking up uh in the in the thing with Nynaeve and then here oh yeah they get, get knocked out by Leandrin and then they wake up in the ways you're right yep and then <laughs> even in... there they've been knocked unconscious like three times already just in the last few days and it's gonna happen more <laughs> it's just like knocking people in the head too like smashing yeah. people it's oh, like yeah. you think they would like be like, some, like bonk, sometimes you're unconscious yeah, yeah it's pretty funny and I I think it's one of those things that like you have to do away with that that's that's terrible yeah it's just it's just lazy I think and it's 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 you know, take a second in Google head trauma and understand that this is not how it works. <laughs> it makes me think of like Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball Z. They would just always like neck chop people into into unconsciousness. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's what it's like. Yeah. Bond. I feel like he would do that. He would do a little chop and knock somebody out. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Spock, the Spock yeah. doing the. Yeah. yeah. Just like on the neck. It's like it's just TV. It's like a legacy of like lazy TV writing that has just like perpetuated itself. I don't know. It, it bothers me. Maybe some people it doesn't matter, but like. The more you start thinking about how annoying and bad it is, then you'll start noticing it. And then a show like this does it so much that it it, it really becomes egregious. 
Um, but I'll stop harping on it. Um, <laughs> I will say I, I liked I liked Rima. I like this uh, yellow Asadai and her warder. And this oh, yeah. plays out a little differently, but we we get some cool uh, lore. We get to witness another Aja, which you've talked about how we haven't seen a lot of the other ones very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get to see her talking with uh, Nynaeve well, and, and Elaine. And she's a yellow Aja too, which yep. we haven't we specifically haven't seen a, a like a, a yellow Aja who's like been a relevant character yet. Yeah. Some of these Aes Sedai have died to get this Adam uh, so that they can possibly use it to free some of the other Aes Sedai and the other channelers that have been taken captive. It adds a lot of baggage. It adds a lot of like history to like this this whole scenario they're going into and the fact yeah. that they have like i said i like planted in other areas to kind of investigate and keep tabs on other goings on is, is cool i liked seeing it yeah and we're going to set up something you know continued in the next episode one other thing to set up is that moraine has devised a plan with rand where she wants him to go to sleep because she knows that Landfear is sort of the master of this dream world and this is all kind of stuff we haven't gotten a lot of in, uh, so far in the books. We've had some important dreams, but I don't know that we've heard the dream world being discussed. No, this was new um, to me, yeah. It is such an important part of the series, but I was wondering if they were going to be like do it on the show. Because, again, it's like a dream world. Is it, How interesting is that? Yeah. Um, but I, I like the way they're handling it so far. And, uh, yeah, Rand Rand agrees to this and goes to sleep, and he wakes up in uh, in the dream world of face, facing uh, Land Fierce. And Moraine says, too, that if you die in the dream world, you'll die in real life. So that's kind of, you know, that's pretty huge yeah. going forward. And, and there's so many worlds. They have, like, this, like, portal world with alternate dimensions, and yeah. they have this dream world now, the ways, like, so many different, like... There's um, fewer worlds in the in the show so far, but yeah, in the in the actual like book series, there are a lot of different realities and alternate worlds, and yeah, and it's and you stuff. can use the dream world we see in a little bit to like communicate with people. I'm like, holy shit, that's powerful on its own. That's you know to be able to yeah. get messages to somebody almost in- instantaneously. But what Moraine wanted Rand to go to sleep. She should have just knocked his head a- across like a big <laughs> give him block a little whack in the back of the head. Be <laughs> right asleep in the dream world. So episode six is called Eyes Without Pity. In Falm, Rena, a Suldam, tries to break Egwene and makes her un- understand that she is nothing but a Damane, a magic user who needs to be leashed and controlled by Suldam through the Adam, a caller used to control Damane. Rena demonstrates to Egwene how Suldam controlled Damane and slowly breaks her through physical and psychological torture. Meanwhile, Nynaeve and Elaine ride with Rima in Falm and they try to open an Adam to rescue Egwene. Unfortunately, Nynaeve channels too much during their attempts, alerting the Shanshan, who come for them. Rima fights the Shanshan to protect Elaine and Nynaeve, but is captured as a Damane. In the dream world, Lanfear tries to convince Rand to join her by promising to protect him from Ashamael and showing him that Egwene is in Falm. She also tells Rand that she will kill Moiraine if she sees them together. At the same time, Matt and Min arrive in Kyrian, and Rand and Matt meet in the foregate and catch up on their adventures. Rand tells Matt that Egwene has been captured in Falm. However, Min warns Matt that Ishamael intends for him to go to Falm with Rand, where he may try to kill Rand. This causes Matt to avoid leaving with Rand. Meanwhile, Suwan Sanchi, the Armalan seat, summons Moiraine for an audience after Lan warns Suwan of Moiraine's actions. Before Rand can leave to attempt a rescue mission, he is intercepted by Lan, Alana, and her warders, who tell him they can't let him leave. Back to the dream world, Rand wakes up, and he's, like, pinned up on a thing in front of uh, Lanfear. 
Yeah, in front of Lanfear, who's on this like crazy looking throne, and they're in the middle of a desert atop of these mountaintops. She's wearing this insane dress. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, she looks so fucking cool. And she's just, like talking to him and like his whole thing for Maureen is like, don't listen to her. She's, you know, gonna mess with your mind and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm gonna listen to anything this woman's saying to me right now. <laughs> like <laughs> she, she, all know, my defenses are gone. <laughs> I'm just like, holy shit. <laughs> with these like biblical references and stuff too it makes me think of the forsaken as like demons or at, like the way that she's presenting herself almost makes me think of like a demon from good omens something oh, like yeah. that that's like very yeah, i was thinking of there was this movie that jennifer lopez was in back in the 90s and it was about she goes into like her self subconscious or something and it had this crazy like high fashion look to like everything in there and that was kind of giving me that vibe i wish i could remember the name of it I'm, I'm i have never Google. seen that i don't know if that is it was called the cell for those uh who might be listening who know about this movie it was a <laughs> wild movie um, any good yeah you recommend it, it i remember it being pretty good i don't know how well it stands up i saw it a long fucking time ago uh when it came out it came out in the year 2000 looks like so we're talking nice this pretty old um but it had just insane look to it the look was so striking and and Lanfear's uh get up was giving me a bit of that yeah a bit of that and she shows up in everybody's dreams all the time there's this one moment that I don't know if it's this episode or not Ishamael is like laying in bed and yeah. or, or Rand's laying in bed and Ishamael like rolls to him and I and like it's like you, you like think stroking he's stroking his like, cheek <laughs> yeah he's like stroking his cheek and then and then you realize he's stroking his cheek because it's actually Lanfear but the yeah. way that she can kind of manipulate people's dreams like that, that's that's pretty powerful stuff. If you think basically the, the dream world is just your unconscious real world, um, if they can really affect you in that way and you can have these conversations like you can you can trick somebody in a dream, especially when they think it's a dream, you know, like we'll get if, more explanation of this in the books. Um, but just my memory of it is the dream world is this like actual shared dream that people can like enter into sometimes. Oh, so it's not all dreams it's not all dreams it's like um but it's kind of like the the space where dreams take place but um there are certain rules to it and certain people who can channel are able to enter it um and it has some dream-like rules to the way you know reality functions um but yeah this is uh it's going to be important going forward and i'm assuming that this show will do a little more explaining and the books yeah. especially will do a lot of explaining into, into how this all works well and i really liked how it was used for ran to see Egwene here like for ran to see yeah. Egwene in this scenario you know Rand is not going to stand by and let that happen so that's and she like, sees him and that's what you're picking up on like she actually sees Rand and is like how are you here so it shows that it is a shared thing it's not just like he's seeing something one way yeah and we're, I guess we're supposed to assume that she was asleep for that. Like that wasn't her actually awake where he was transported and showed himself in, in the real world. I want to circle back uh, to something we talked about in our book coverage last week. Um, there's all this talk of like three women attached to Rand. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you, you've been kind of downplaying it. Um, it's unclear whether or not that show is going to go down, go down that route or not, or at least we'll even like highlight it in the way that the book does. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you thought it could be Lanfear, could be the third woman. Um, because in the, in the book so far, they've mentioned Min and Elaine. Egwene is not among the three that are that are described. This is from Min's like visions. This right. is all not really in the show, so it might be completely changed. So it's not really a show spoiler. But I'm just curious if like anything you saw in the show has affected your opinions of what you think might be going on in the book series. Um, there's a moment in the final episode that I think there's no question that that Elaine is going to be a, a love interest for Rand. Um, I think that 
I still stand stand by my statements about Egwene and the fact that like Rand and Egwene are fated together and whether that happens, you know, as it's supposed to, as the wheel turns, uh, the, in this in this wheel turn, if they will end up together or not, because right. I can tell that they are fated to because be he has like and, the ability to change his fate is basically right. what's been said repeatedly about it. Tavirin, Tavirin, and he's the Dragon Reborn. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I still stand by the fact that that I think that Egwene is a major factor in his in his uh, relationships. But yeah. Uh, there was no Min holding his head at the end, you know, the end of the yeah. book. There's that weird scene out of nowhere where Min is just like holding his head and, and yeah. cradling him. I don't know if we're going to go that route in the show. I really don't. It doesn't seem like the Min, Min has that connection, at least not yet. But uh, so so for now, you're holding fast, though. You still think Lanfear might be one of them? Well, I think I was skeptical even even saying it last week. I okay. said something along the lines of like, you know, it wouldn't make a ton of sense just because like she is a forsaken. But I as this as the season went on, I, she really does care for him and she would love for him to. I guess turn to the dark and join her and she would be yeah. the they would be like dark they want she wants to be together with 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 him yeah and and, and it's like she loves loose theron and this is like the newest version of loose theron so she loves him because of that but that that's also kind of weird because it's like she's not really in love with him she's in love with like his past life yeah but even still like it's it, it's really interesting the way they play that jordan specifically in the show follows suit and plays with that right like he is all he is at the same time lose theron and also not lose theron yeah he's rand Althor sure. and so it's it can be both things and in, in some scenarios mm-hmm. a little bit later we we hear that Lanfear Ishamael and Luz were like in, inseparable and they were like yeah. best friends basically as well so that makes me that gets my wheel spinning too and I'm like okay so what does that mean for the wheel spins when Rand's best friends with you know Matt Perrin Egwene Nynaeve like he he clear we see this clip at the very at the very last episode just to jump ahead Luz Theron like captures the Forsaken and specifically Ashamael when Ashamael is like, no, we can work together. We can fix this. And then he, you know, locks him away. He's like, I'm sorry, my friend. And you're like, damn, like that could end up being where Rand is. If, if, you know, Matt turns or Matt goes mad from all this dark stuff around him too, like kind of, they talk a lot about how everybody around him, you know, they're going to turn to the dark or they want to like enable them turning to the dark. And that would mirror what happened with the Forsaken. Just interesting, interesting stuff building up, yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to also touch in on Lady Suroth here, who doesn't get a ton of screen screen time, but I think is re- doing something really interesting, actually. Um, got a lot of personality coming through, even beyond this, like, wild look and um, you know, the fact that, that she's this dark friend and interacting with Ishamael, who, like, obviously has a lot more power than her. And I was getting, like, Zorg from the fifth element vibes from her <laughs> with the that head, shaved yeah. head. Yeah, totally. And just also just her like really intense behavior. And um she you know she's telling she's like erratic uh, for sure. She's like yeah, she's like she's kind of erratic yeah. and like you know intense. And she's getting um loyal to do the song and then she like oh, that was gets cool. upset yeah. when the when like it seems to kind of like wow everybody. She was both in control and then often I felt like she was just flying by the seat of her pants, right? Like oh, she, yeah. <laughs> she just like didn't have a lot of control in the scenario and was being totally manipulated by Ashamael. And the way she was like talking to Ashamael though sometimes you're like damn, this is one of the forsaken <laughs> and he, she's like yelling at him and like you know not not necessarily treating him with a lot of respect yeah and he had to at one point kind of reassert that like he's like i know why you came to the dark or something and that seemed to seem to get her in in line yeah i don't know if she actually is killed in the last episode we'll have to circle back to that but like didn't seem like the the ship got blown up but i could see her being alive and she like i I feel like i saw i remember her like lunging away and like maybe jumping out of the boat Oh, jumping overboard Mm, maybe so another moment to talk about is lan um reveals the existence of the dragon reborn 
and goes to find, uh, sorry, to Alana and her two warders. And they go to find Suin Sanchi, and we see the Amarillan seat reintroduced to the show because we haven't seen her in a while. Right. Um, she does this really cool thing where a bunch of like daggers appear above her head, and she's like ready to shoot him. I thought that was pretty rad. Um, what What was your thoughts on on her being brought back into the show? Well, we haven't seen like a lot of her. We haven't seen any like feats of power from her. So I was a little worried that she would be this like she's like a figurehead that might not be as powerful as some of the other Aes Sedai that are out there. And that's that as far as I can tell, that's not the case. She seems like she's really formidable on her own. And like that that knife moment was cool for that. Um, yeah, I, I was happy that she came back. She's a lot of like gravitas and weight as a character. Yeah, um, especially her history with Moraine that we get into a little bit. And the, the, yeah, getting into the next episode, there's like the whole um, the meeting that happens. So so I was happy and I kind yeah. of felt like her being, that up here. Her being reintroduced had a lot of like implications for like what else could happen in the season. And this is again, none of this happens in the Great Hunt. So maybe book three stuff. Back in uh, Fall Me, I think we see this is the moment where Nynaeve does the channeling. Um, the little bit of channeling we've actually seen from her like at all this season. And it's unfortunately draws, you know, people to come leash this yeah. Ace to die. And we see her do battle with them the streets and her warder gets killed um she folds a woman up like a pretzel with the, with the one power which i it thought was, was pretty fucking, fucking cool <laughs> wild yeah really wild too for a yell and, and that just goes to show like it doesn't matter what aja you're in as far as i can tell it like you can be really formidable in any aja yeah. like you can you can you know turn somebody into a pretzel <laughs> even if yeah. you're if you're you know a healer so there's that well, I, I, maybe you could say that like healers are really intimately familiar with like the body and, and how it works. So maybe that kind of leads to that. But yeah, I think I think different Aja are definitely like maybe masters of certain kinds of weaves. They're more likely to teach them to each other and learn them. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, anybody can, you know, if you have the one power, you could learn yeah. um, these different weaves. And, and again, uh, another... yeah, I think I think you're right. I think they are all fom formidable in their own ways. Yeah, and this is another moment too. Like we've we're already seeing how tortured Egwene is, and how it's it's brutal. This is like it's starting to ramp up in these episodes where we're seeing like her at one point she's like hung up on a wall and like choking, yeah. and like that was horrific stuff. And then we see this Aes Sedai sacrifices herself for Nynaeve and and Elaine so that they can carry on the mission. And so they go out, they fight against all, all these Shanchen, and she gets collared and that moment of her getting collared hit me like a ton of bricks. It was great. I was like, cause she talks about like all the sisters that they lost to get the, to get the Adam. So she understands the gravity of all of this situation. She still goes out and she sacrifices herself. And the yeah. sad thing is we didn't, see, I didn't see her get released through the whole rest of the season. Yeah, so. no, we don't see that. Hopefully, hopefully next season. We'll see yeah. I hope we follow up on that. In theory, she's still alive. We haven't seen her again. Yeah. So in theory, she's still out there somewhere and can be rescued. Um, yeah, there's a lot of this Rena stuff where she's again like a lot of this like trying to convince Egwene of the of the righteousness of their position and the the Shanchen way of the world and um it yeah it's not going well and she's definitely torturing Egwene uh difficult to watch at times um not like it's like gory or anything but it's just like troubling conceptually it was it was rough for sure and and the only the only thing that i would say about it is the 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 level of defiance and, and like how resilient Egwene is through all of it is pretty like show telling of the character 
like character of her character yeah if that makes sense like she she has like a a deep well they couldn't break her that's my point yeah they couldn't break her and she she she, defied the whole way through and that's one of the reasons i wanted to say that i like how a lot of this stuff is being translated i i I thought this was going to be a compelling storyline in the book but it but difficult i think to get right and i think uh you know, Rafe looked at this and, and honestly saw more of an opportunity to lean into character growth for Egwene than even the book necessarily does. I think some of it is left implied, but he wanted to put it on screen. And like we see more of Egwene pushing back and being unwilling to break and bend to this, um, despite what's being done to her. And, you know, this whole this whole plot line, I think, plays out to that effect. And I, I think is one of the more impressive moments of adaptation i've seen so far from the show i mean it's really compelling stuff and and like i said like she at one point says something like i'll kill you or something like that to her captor and you know she means it and you know she's going to like i you know it's it's only a matter of time (laughs) and one more thing to talk about before we leave this episode is matt reuniting with rand just in the streets of Kyrian, and uh he agrees he says yeah i'm gonna leave with you but then he's um talked out of it by men who says you're going to stab him. She's like seen it because of that. He chooses not to go with Rand and he's like sort of tortured about it. He's like, I would never do that. Why did she see that, you know, see that vision Um, and chooses not to go with Rand, who is then instead like confronted by Lan and brought to, to see the Amarillan, um, which sets up our next episode. Well, so episode seven is called Deus Damar. Matt is abducted from Kyrian by Lanfear and brought to Ishamael in Falm, who gives him a tea that shows him visions of himself as a murderer. Nynaeve and Elaine manage to use the Adam to take a Suldam captive after learning from Loyal that only Suldams can approach the kennels where Egwene is held. Perrin and Avienda meet up with two other Aiel warriors, Bane and Shyad, who join them in their journey to Falm. In Kyrian, Rand is brought to Swan Sanchi, who takes him captive, intending to use him as a weapon against the Dark One. Barthanes is revealed to be a Dark Friend and tasked by Leandrin with killing Moraine, but Anivir uncovers the plot and locks him in a cell. Lan learns from Loghain that Shamael didn't steal Moraine but shielded her. Rand persuades Lanfear to help him to get to Falm, and she assaults the Foregate to distract Sawan, allowing Moraine and Lan to escape with Rand who uses the one power to cut the shield around Moiraine, allowing her to channel again. Suwan finds them as they are about to leave Kyrian through a way gate, but she is ambushed by Lanfear, who easily defeats her and opens the gate, allowing Rand, Moiraine, and Lan to leave for Falm. A lot to like here. Um, I also thought it was interesting that we bring back a, a scene that sort of happens at the beginning of book two, where Rand actually meets Suwan for the first time, and we instead move it here although it then plays out pretty differently but uh i also was excited when i heard about cat crosses the courtyard <laughs> oh yeah i was gonna talk <laughs> about that it's gonna talk about that so uh <laughs> those i mean the forms we talked about it last week specific to wheel of time so wheel of time fans i'm sure found that to be really fun uh and cool because we this is like that land scene that we were missing i feel like almost he didn't yeah. actually train him in any way but he, right. he mentioned oh you are trading the sword forms and there's like maybe i would love to see wow. a scene in 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 season three where land makes good on that that training stuff at the beginning of, of book two um yeah we might still get it at some point you know we do get him sort of uh coaching him on how to talk to the emerald and stuff and she recognizes like oh land has taught you well or told you what to say 
Yeah, it's um, cool. All this yeah. stuff that goes on here. The, I mean, last episode and this episode, were, I'll just say, are one of my favorite episodes of the season. They they really built up to some really powerful scenes. The, the end of this episode is wild with the Swan and, and Moiraine connection. Yeah, so this is all set up here. We haven't gotten this in the books at all. Um, and my memory of it is if this occurs at all, it's quite different. It's been a long time since I've read it, so I need to read it again. <laughs> um, but yeah, they we they've set up this dynamic where it's like Suin says, like, you know, what we should have done according to Tower Law is Keiju, Randolph Thor, you know, Keiju, the Dragon Reborn, and you should have been a weapon for us, uh, not not a general. You're just a, a sort of weapon and only used at the behest of the Tower because you're too dangerous to be allowed to roam free. And Moraine originally was supposed to be teaching you, but she seems dissatisfied with what Moraine has done and says, like, uh, I guess we're going to go with the original plan, um, which uh, to me kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't think that's where we were going with this. It didn't seem right for Suin. Yeah. I'm a little unconvinced by this storyline. Yeah, and I think that the conflict they have at the end of the episode makes me left me feeling like in some way after she compels Moiraine to like close the gate, which was super fucked up and reminded me of the stuff that like that was Moiraine saying that she was going to compel land to to go join another Aes Sedai when if she was to go away so the compelling yeah. stuff is super fucked up it's really and it, it, and away, and it goes back to the Soldom and yeah. their whole thing taking away someone's free will it, and it's, using you know, the power to right. do it yeah it's not right to use the power to do that and I th it, I think at the end of there's the the look that they share where I felt like Swan is not gonna like have it out for Moiraine now like she I think she realizes that they're on the like they they were gonna do the same thing. It ultimately just was Swan is like trying to be the leader that she's meant to be as the Amarillon seat now and like think right. about the greater good. And Moraine is still willing to just like throw all her chips on the Dragon Reborn. I didn't get as like positive a feel from that look. Really? I, I thought it was animosity. I thought it was I thought it was like a sorry anything, look between any, the two of them. I got like a mourning what 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 maybe what was like yeah we used to be in love and now that's gone. And I think they were looking at each other as essentially enemies. At this, this is point. the end. This is the breakup kind of thing. This is the breakup. That's yeah. what I was getting from the show. And again, like I, I don't remember it playing out quite that way in the books, but in the relationships different in the book. But um, yeah, I was, I thought this was a pretty big change unless I misread again, because apparently it's obviously pretty subjective and who knows what exactly was being yeah. conveyed there. And this was also set up with the scene at the very beginning, the cold open where we get the prophecy. We see the prophecy of the dragon being reborn. They both received it from from this, this woman who gives the prophecy and then dies upon giving it yeah. to them. Yeah. So that set them down this path for 20 years. And, you know, they've been on each other's side, but in different capacities. And then, you know, it leads us all the way to this where the dragon yeah. is here and he's and he's like, you know, grappling with his powers. And we got to we got to try to keep him safe until he comes into his own. We got to talk a little bit more about Alana um, and her warders. So I think they've been doing something kind of quietly that's pretty interesting here. And it does set up a moment in the next episode that I, does think, I do think lands pretty well. But there's this whole thing about equality among warders and Aes Sedai. And they pulled Lan aside, the two warders, at one point and talked to him. And he mentioned how Moraine said they weren't equals and they were like, why would you ever think that you are? We are not their equals. We are, you know, here to protect them while they do the important business of being a Sedai, essentially, like, kind of shut that whole thing down. Um, but then I did think it was very interesting that here 
there's this discussion they have where one wants to go follow after uh, Varen's warder and um, uh, Alana is like, no, don't do that. I can't risk you being out and about on your own while Lanfear is like in the, in the city. She'd already started attacking the foregate at this point. And the other warder like sides with, you know, the first warder. And then they're like two to one, you're outvoted. And the guy goes off. And I was like, that kind of contradicts what they were saying here. Like, if they each have an equal vote in this moment, that even contradicts what they were telling Lan. So that already calls into question, like, what is the relationship of a warder and an Aes Sedai in this situation truly like? You know, um, which, again, I think this pays this pays dividends next episode. Right. But I, I was picking up on it here. I thought it was cool to introduce some complexity to that. It's not necessarily as simple as what they were saying. Yeah, and it's not a, it's a case by case thing. It's not like they're not always going to be compelled to do exactly what the the Aes Sedai says and the Aes Sedai doesn't have to listen to the warder. They're like they're, it's like a, you know, symbiotic relationship that they have yeah. and like ultimately they both it depends on the scenario, I guess, who has the power in in some yeah. cases and then Well, I think there's also distinction to be made between like what do you mean by importance uh, and what do you mean by equality? Right. Like in this moment of decision, they have equal votes, but would they consider themselves equally as important as Alana? Probably not. So maybe that's more what they mean, like that they're not yeah. as important as the. Well, they've said as much too, right? Like they they said like you know she's she's more important. That's what they said to Lan. Um, one thing to talk about with with Lanfear, uh, lover. She is wrecking havoc on the 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 small <laughs> folk. She is just destroying people. And I'm like, I was Rand kind too. of asked her to do this. Like, I don't think he knew she was going to do it. But honestly, he should probably feel pretty bad because he's like, hey, help me get out of here. She's like, all right, I guess I'll just go murder a couple hundred innocent people on your behalf just to create a distraction. And at first, it was just like lighting stuff on fire. But then like the explosion started like sending people flying. Like she, like, yeah, she was like deliberately gate. killing them. <laughs> yeah, And the people were flying all over the place and stuff. It was crazy. The Forsaken in this episode especially shows because I'm still trying to get like a power scale of where people yeah. are falling. What's their power level? You want to get one of those little readers? Yeah, in Dragon scouters. Ball Z. Give me a scouter. Yeah. Are you over 9000? <laughs> yeah. So I, I just need to know like like, you know, who it's Rand is so powerful, but then he's immediately caged by the Aes Sedai by this he's, he's all raw power he has like no t he has no technique <laughs> she's like she's like any Aes Sedai could take you down easily yep. right now and you're the dragon reborn that's not acceptable and but then you get like this weird power dynamic because Moraine doesn't have her abilities right now she does she can't channel and then you see Swan and her compelling it, it just gets wild with with like the powers in this show because Swan very easily even when Moraine gets her powers back compels her and maybe that's like an oath thing versus channeling maybe that's a difference yeah we hear that she swore on the oath rods yeah and um because of that she is sworn to obey yeah um but the Amarillan clearly Swan and the Amarillan Sea is incredibly powerful and has power over people Lanfear just like annihilates her immediately with one blast so yeah. you're like, holy shit, the Forsaken are like for real, like they're big time. Uh, well, well another, another hint at this is we learn about the shield that is actually in place on Moraine. It's not, she has not been um, stilled or, yeah, yeah, stilled. It's gentled when it's a man and stilled when it's a woman. Is that what I think so. figured yeah. out? Okay, I get them reversed sometimes. Um, she hasn't been that. Instead, we hear that this is like something that has been forgotten, but somehow Ashamael did this shield and then tied it off. This is the first time we've heard this sort of phrase. Um, yeah, what were your, what were your thoughts on that re reveal that you can like create a weave and then tie it off? Apparently, 
I thought cool. It was it was a lot easier for her to get her her channeling back than I thought it was going to be. I thought this was going to be a multi-season thing where she, you know, struggled with it and like mate was like uh, you know, a threat on her own even without her abilities, which she she kind of you could argue she was in this season. Oh, I think she did a pretty good amount to show that she is still quite capable even despite her power. Yeah, totally. And uh but then for her for it to be a not uh interesting. You know, I like it. Yeah. I like the idea of the the forsaken being able to do things that people don't remember because they are so ancient and they have been you know turned over so many times by the wheel yeah. uh, what do you think cool. the, do you think there are going to be potential ramifications to this reveal um maybe but i th- yeah. i oh maybe Logan is what you're saying like there's some Logan situation that he's tied not tied or off rand or... rand it's explained to rand that this was able to be done and then he cuts through it right yeah so he can yeah maybe do that in the future i don't know i guess yeah it's like once you start showing things being possible to people and we've got people who are who have even like some of our characters have been said to be like oh they just need to see it once and they can do it you know maybe some of these old ways are going to start coming back i mean this generation is very powerful like the age of legends and all that stuff too so yeah i can see a lot of the wheel turning back over with with some of this stuff um two two things we got to talk about right here and both have to do with matt one i wanted to shout back out that that scene with min was where i really bought into this new actor as matt and i feel like he's because i through the season i had been like yeah he's he's becoming more and more like matt i like his his personality i like his take on matt and then like all that stuff that he's going through where he's struggling with the fact that he's going to kill Rand um, and like she betrayed him. And then all the way up until in this episode, we get the acid trip, which was hilarious yeah. to me. When... Donald Flynn, by the way, is the name of that, the new performer. We should we should shout him out because I agree. I think this is like the best moment so far for Matt that we've actually gotten. Um, it's this this tea. He's like, here, yeah. have some tea. It's going to show you your alternate lives. And we know from the book that this was like a whole portal stone thing. It was very different yeah. in the book, but I was kind of happy to see we're going to get it. Um, but I think it is interesting to note that it only really affects Matt. Like in, in the book, it was a Rand thing, really. Right. Yeah, and Perrin and yeah, all yeah. of them. Here, Shamael, I think it's super funny based on things that I've picked up on from season one. I mentioned some of it here and there, but I was just going to mention, I think it's funny that that Shamael is like, yeah, this is something that's been forgotten to time and all this other stuff. And I was like, people forgot about acid, dude. Like, you guys, <laughs> yeah. you guys all forgot mushroom, about- <laughs> mushroom tea. <laughs> mushroom tea. You guys forgot about psychedelics, man. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, that's ulti- some ayahuasca. Old magic, dude. You got to <laughs> lean into the old magics. It's like, it'll help you sleep for the first time. And Matt's like, all right, I guess I'll take drugs with you, dude. You're yeah. weird, but all right. He's very unbarred. <laughs> Let's trip balls him on, dude. And then. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I love the line he gives here too, where when when Ashamael's first in there, kind of quietly menacing, and he's like, "Is this like a death or a sex thing? Either yeah, way, let's really get funny. to it." Like, I, I like Matt's sort of attitude to this whole thing. Like, he calls people out, and um, I'm like, I, whenever Matt's kind of being clever and funny, that's where I'm like, "This is Matt at his best." Yeah. Um, and I love that we're starting to get some of that here. Speaking of that sequence, what a weird moment where he like walks over to the mirror and he's seeing his mother like saying you're just like him and then he's like seeing all these different versions where he's like hanging like there's a very important moment where he's like hanging from a rope and then um we see him stabbing rand i think in one of the moments and we see him do like like i think stabbing some of his other friends a lot of these like alternate versions of himself are traitors which we talked about a little bit in the book um but then there's a moment where like his mother becomes him and then he becomes his mother and then he yells at her, you're going to be just like him. And then they both turn back into himself and then they scream at each other. 
Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's really real good. weird. <laughs> it looked good too. Like it looked visually yeah. like it didn't look as hokey as it could have. It looked it looked pretty cool. It, it was pretty cool. It was, it, it was very drug trippy at the end there and like went bad on him. <laughs> when he looks at his hands and his hands are rippling, I'm like, yeah, he's just oh, yeah. on acid or mushrooms or something. <laughs> like I don't know what to tell you. So uh, I also found it really wild that at the end here, Lanfear for one said, I'll kill Moraine next time I see her when mm -hmm. you with her. And then they travel together in the ways. Yeah. They all go into the ways together. And I'm like, what was that trip like? Like, can we see more of that? Because we only see yeah. a, a couple of seconds. She's like, you're it. being quiet back there at one point. that <laughs> next episode. But yeah. 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 And then ultimately, like. You slit her throat. <laughs> Moray did. That's like... what I'm saying. Like, it seems like there's like some animosity between you two that you should hash out, if especially if you're going to be traveling companions. But hey, <laughs> I guess for the sake of the story, because this is very different from what we get in, in the, the book two to, for all these characters that end up in the same area. Uh, we got to talk about Bane and Chad, two more of these uh, Maidens of the Spear, I think they're called, um, that are with Avienda and Perrin. And we see Avienda gets sort of beat up by them. And yeah. it's something to do with this toe concept and that she allowed one of her... Um, Patriots to be killed in the fight and that she's like got toe because of that and that 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 this is how she's sort of paying for it um what did you think of this whole sequence we're learning a little bit about uh, the aiel and their culture here yeah i just got a tiny little bit of that they beat each other up when they let somebody else die so they're very serious about taking combat they just seem like you know a warrior race to me that's that's yeah. what i'm getting from their culture and like a lot of their customs are built around that and then they all they're they're looking for the the one Ooh. who comes with the dawn and the leader and all that one so. of one of these things i've always really liked is there's this quote about like uh waking from the dream she woke from the dream and uh, many people will wake from the dream and that's their like way of describing death as if life itself is a dream and when you die you wake from it um, yeah. i always thought that was a pretty cool little description and, and we see a little bit of their of their like religion kind of coming in here because they have their own belief structure because you know that's one thing jordan does really well so he develops these different cultures and gives them rich belief structures and and all this stuff i'll be excited to get more uh aiel because they're that exciting uh culture so far that like they're badasses they're they're very mysterious um they seem very loyal once you once you have their loyalty like it seems undying and yeah, yeah so it'll be cool to get into that one note that kind of bothered me uh, in this episode was Lan comes to Loghain. And again, I'm just happy to see Loghain because I think he's great. And this is where yeah. he finds out about the shield. And he like he doesn't promise him out and out this key, but he like comes and sets it on the table. Yeah, I have and, the then, note. and then Loghain does what he asks. And then Lan's like, you're never going to get this key. No, fuck you. And leaves with it. I'm like, that's Land not is Land. way too honorable. Yeah, he would he totally would give him the king in that moment. I, I wrote that down too. I was like, I I kind of don't believe that Land as as honorable as he would be, he wouldn't he wouldn't have even offered it in the first place if he wasn't if he wasn't prepared to get it. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. So I'm yeah. glad we both picked up on that. That's 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 uh yeah. I felt like kind of a wrong moment. That's where I'm at. So with the show, as much as we're like singing its praises and liking stuff, every now and then you get a moment like that where you're like, that doesn't feel right for the character. Yeah. I don't know, you know. And I guess it's like, you know, show watcher's not going to know that necessarily. And he's still Maybe. honorable enough, I guess you could say. Yeah. So so it's interesting to think of this as like, if you want to talk about it from like a book purist standpoint, because I, I would love to know like massive fans, right? If, if you're a huge Wheel of Time fan, let us know. Because I, I found myself like pretty optimistic and pleasantly surprised with this and it's continuing to get better. I would like to know if like massive book fans feel the same or if they're like, oh, no, it's not. It's not really checking the boxes yeah. for me. 
I was talking with someone recently who who was not very excited about season two, hadn't watched any of it yet because of you know lingering disappointments from season one. And I, I, I kind of told him, like, you know, if you if you liked anything at all that was going on in season one, I think give season two a chance because I, I do still think this is an improvement. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not the biggest book fan in the world like you might be talking about book purist fan. But um, as someone who grew up on the books and loves them, I, I'm still on board with this, even as I have nitpicks about certain choices right. that are being made. I saw someone on Reddit talking about the Wheel of Time, and um, they they had this interesting uh, viewpoint, and they were basically saying that you should view the the show as like a different turn of the wheel, or like an alternate turning of the wheel yeah. from from what we get in the book. And like that, like for me, I was like, I bet you people would be into that if they, yeah, if they kind of reframed like it in that way. Yeah, this is another turning of the wheel. I like that. Oh, I wanted to ask you. So there's these parent shots where he's with the Aiel. And they're, I think it's during this whole toe sequence, later on when they're walking together. And I think it's a day for night shot. Oh, my we God. talked about this a little bit. Yeah. I Don't thought it looked bad here. It, it, didn't, it wasn't convincing at all. Like, it still looked like daytime with just, like, a weird haze on it. And yeah. I'm like, what is going on here? Is this supposed to be nighttime? Because I don't even believe it's nighttime. Yeah. I, I felt like they were, like, having to, in post, just say, like, the, the, the audience will assume it's dusk or, or, like, something. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like, barely nighttime. But... You have to do it correctly, man. If you're if your actors are looking into the horizon in the desert and they're squinting in the middle of the <laughs> <Yeah>. night <laughs> and there's shadows all over their face, like I'm going to unless it's like a massive, like a crazy moon, you're not going to get a lot of shadows no, um, yeah. like if it's clear sky above somebody. So like you have to like you yeah, have to make that... a cloudless desert. There should be yeah. stars. There should. Yeah, this is not at all what night would look like. And I is guess it just they, so is it why is it so hard to film in film at night? Is it just like impossible to get this scene if you're actually shooting at night? Like if you're shooting with digital cameras and stuff, noise is a big factor. Like uh if you shoot something that's black and you're not careful about like your dynamic range, you can end up with like a lot of like almost noise or grain is what it was called in film, where it looks unprofessional, like it doesn't look good. So it's hard and it's hard to shoot at night. It just is. But this doesn't look good. <laughs> yeah, and this doesn't look good. I, I think it just comes down to it's a TV show. And I think that this is probably the storyline that got the, the least yeah, budget. Like we got to shoot it today. Yeah. We can't wait and do it at night or something for real. And you can do day for night and it look good. Like Nope did that. Jordan Peele's Nope mm. did that. And and like they did it with really specific technology and techniques. But you just have to be intentional with this kind of stuff. Like attention to detail. If it's going to break someone's immersion, like... I don't know, man. Sometimes it might just be, like you said, maybe just film at night, like figure it out, get some big lights out there and some generators, but it's not easy and it's expensive. Yeah. Have them sit around a fire and use the fire as the light source for the scene. Like do something yeah. like that. So I was thinking of like House of the Dragon again with that yeah. infamous moment where is, I love that show. Like I love yeah. that that season, but like there were some moments where it was so hard to see anything and it was like, why are we looking? Why does this Well, and they like shot this? Day for Night too. One of those mm -hmm. like banquets or something was Day for Night and it didn't look great either. Yeah, um, that's what I'm saying. Like, that was yeah. what, it, what it was reminding me of <laughs> those yeah. moments. Hopper is traveling with them through the desert, and I just felt so bad oh, for yeah. that dog. I was like, get that dog a water bowl. And like, yeah, I was first so... off, yeah. I mean, like, I know that it's going to be hard to have, like, a real wolf, but, like, this looks so much like a dog to me. That It's like a wolf-like dog, but it, it reminds me a lot of, like, what we got from the early seasons of Game of Thrones where, um, you know. The dire wolves. The, the yeah. dire wolves. Um, and, but this is supposed to be, like, a full-grown wolf. But it looks like a dog to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You gotta um, like small size distinction, it up. but like, yeah. Um, I agree. Like, it's not really treated seriously. Like, yeah. And to go back and include Hopper, like, I really expected them to do more building with Hopper because he just had a couple of scenes here and there, and then he's walking with them, which is great, and he's a cute dog and everything. But what we get at the end, yeah. Um, in the last episode, we'll we'll have to touch on because yeah. Let's I, let's get to the last episode because I know we have a ton of ton of moments to talk about. 
Yeah, so episode eight is called What Was Meant to Be. Lanfear throws Moiraine and Lan out of the ways outside of Falm before transporting herself and Rand into the city where Rand confronts and kills Turok and his men. Lanfear alerts Ishamael to Rand's presence, making him realize she has betrayed him. Ishamael has Pad and Fane deliver Matt the dagger from Shadar Lagoth to kill Rand with, but Matt refuses to take it and escapes. The White Cloaks, led by Dane and his father Geofram, attack Falm in an attempt to eradicate the Shanchan. During the chaos, Ingtar, Loyal, and Masema escape with the Horn of Valir and join the battle alongside Matt, Perrin, and the Aeel. Egwene manages to break free from her Adam and kill Rena. Matt is forced to blow the horn, summoning the heroes of the horn and turning the tide of battle. Rand, Egwene, Nynaeve, Perrin, and Matt reunite and are confronted by Ishamael, who has Rand shielded from the One Power, and tricks Matt into wounding Rand. While Egwene and Perrin fight Ishamael, Moiraine frees Rand from the shield, allowing him to slay Ishamael. Rand is proclaimed the Dragon Reborn before the whole city. After the battle, Lanfear is confronted by Mogidian, another of the Forsaken, and learns all Forsaken have been set free. When Moiraine and Lan get knocked out of the ways and we arrive on this beach, I thought this was one of the coolest places I've seen. I loved this, this spot. It was yeah. so cinematic and cool. And then um, it, it ends up being the the place where their the rest of their interactions of the episode happen. Um, but man, seeing that and seeing that big structure out just like in the water, yeah, and how like blue that was. Yeah, like, as much as I was giving them shit about like the day for night stuff, like this looked amazing. It really did. I, I was really taken I, with it. I I thought it looked very striking. It looked visually interesting. But I why didn't she turn around and open the gate the ways back up? Yeah, uh, maybe because yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's <laughs> they got a good booted question, out, I and I was like, maybe Lanford would still be in there and just be like, "Why the fuck are you coming back in here?" <laughs> I guess the yeah, but she like kicked them out, which is like an aggressive thing. You'd think that yeah. she's gonna do something sketchy with with Rand then, but I think the my my headcanon was that she didn't want to reopen the ways because Swan told her not to open the ways or told mm. her not to interact with the ways anymore. So maybe that's like a thing that she's still making good on. And that actually reminds me of the honesty of the Aes Sedai and the cunning nature in which they stay honest. I love that like they navigate these lies by leaving out information or Warren's choosing like you were words. very careful with your words, Varen. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I think it's so cool that like they're not lying. And I because yeah. there's a couple times where I pause and I was like, wait, did they just lie? And I was like, no, I guess they technically didn't lie. Yeah. So I, I just find that really fun and, and interesting about the Aes Sedai. Yeah, it's fun. It's like a little like truth lawyering stuff of like, can I get can I get away with saying this in a way that is technically true, yeah. even if it's you know not actually true. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of that. Specifically, stuff. um, Varen, I believe is her, her name. She, yeah, yeah. Like comes in and takes over the shield on Rand. Yeah. And she said like, I'll take over the shield. She didn't lie when she said that. She said you're you're, you're you know the Amarlin seat needs you to to help the rest of the city. Technically not a lie because it would yeah. be helpful to have another Aes Sedai. So Pat and Fane shows up, and in a moment that I thought I didn't believe the version of Pat and Fane from the books at all would do this, leaves the dagger with Matt. Um, Pat and Fane in the, in the books is like obsessed with the dagger to the point of uh, of it being, you know, like a defining characteristic of the character now. Um, so the idea that he would do this, I thought was a little, eh, I don't know. But I did like Matt being sort of clever again, using some cloth to wrap the dagger onto the end of a stick. And before you know it, he's created this cool looking spear with a dagger on the end of it. And um, a little bit of a book spoiler, but like Matt fights with a spear a lot later in the books. And so this was a really cool, like, oh, okay, we got him. He said his spear early. Um, and then I thought it was funny how the dagger 
is very lightsabery. All of a sudden, he's like stabbing it through locks and melting stuff, and he's like cutting through the 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 box later to get the horn out. It turns into a bit of a lightsaber, um, but pretty sweet. And he uh, all of a sudden he's he's fighting and and um, doing some cool shit that we haven't seen Matt do much of. Yeah, it's nice to see him, especially with what we get. He so he blows the horn. Eventually, he it gets yeah. he gets desperate, and he blows the horn. And I think that like him being the one to blow the horn signals to you that like he's not going to be a bad guy. He he has the horn of heroes on his side. Like he's so he's still, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you notice some of the differences in how this 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 played out? And one of the key things he says right after he blows it. Uh go for it. I don't remember. He says, "Ah, oh, now I remember." Oh yeah, yeah, and he gets to see himself as a hero over and over again, which confirms that like he isn't actually a betrayer in all these different lifetimes. Like he, he's being yeah. led to believe by these visions. Well, it seems that he remembers past lives. Or he seems to remember being a member of these companions. Um, cool that stuff. wasn't really highlighted in the book, at least in in book two. Um, but I, I think uh, I think Rafe made a made a point to bring this up into book two or into season two. Um, I assume some of this stuff will start coming out in book three yeah. because it, it is a big thing for Matt going forward. But it, it I thought it was kind of weird how much we didn't talk about that when it initially happened. Almost so, like Robert Jordan probably hadn't planned it all out yet. When he yeah, wrote. like he was writing like a 14 book series <laughs> that eventually would yeah. advance a little further. And building it two. as he went. Yeah, yeah. It didn't. Yeah. It's a couple of things with this here. I, my imagination of the horns, the, the heroes of the horn was a lot larger scale than this. I expect, you know, people flying around and, and like, you know, doing all this stuff. It was cool to see like, basically just like a bunch of warriors and they had like sort of a, a yeah. sheen to them, like a sort of like after image. Yeah, um, it was pretty cool. They were moving really quickly. Um, we see Archer Hawkwing. He doesn't talk much. Um, we see some of the others. We see Bergetti, I assume. Um, uh, I, I think these are some characters that if they come back in the future, we might be recast. I think that's why we didn't spend a lot of time with them. It was like, we're not going to take our time to like really make sure we've cast the right person for this. Yeah. We'll just have somebody in there for now and then we'll get somebody who looks kind of similar to wear the same armor later. <laughs> I guess I would say it's it's just enough for me. I still enjoyed it. I still thought it was a big momentous occasion when he blows the horn and all these heroes show yeah. up. And it's really fun to see Matt happy and not so dreary and he's, he's leaning yeah. into that stuff. And Weird looking horn. I don't know about the design of this thing. I, I yeah, it didn't look at all like how I pictured like it. Like a trumpet. I thought it, it was going to be a trumpet. Kind of like a toy to me. Like it was very strange. Um, I, but I was mostly okay with it. I think this is a moment that's very hard to get right. I, it, it, um, it's kind of cheesy, honestly, even in the book. But like it works a little bit because it's you know you're not seeing it. But as soon as you're going to put this on screen, it's like it's going to be kind of hokey and cheesy and. You know, the the heroes of old showing up at the blowing of this horn and then they're fighting and it's like, how is this going to look and be yeah. convincing? And not I just thought look. it was going to be larger in scale, like just just like t overtaking the city. And, and yeah, they didn't really like they just helped. It was like it wasn't like it immediately changed everything when they showed up. Yeah. Uh, Uno is a member of them now, too. And I just felt like he didn't have enough. Uno, who unexpectedly died in the show, <laughs> is now a member of the heroes. I didn't think he was going to have enough screen time to to sort of justify that. But I think it's cool to bring him back in this way. I, but it brings it like, how do does one join? Because he didn't die a very heroic death in the show. Yeah, it's kind of unclear because if if the idea is he is new to the heroes based off of his life, I don't necessarily see why that would be the case. If instead they're playing that like he is already a member of the heroes and this is Always just like been. a version of him that was spit out in this time period, which is something that happens time and again with these heroes. Yeah. Um, 
then that makes sense to me because I'm like, okay, this was, he was always a member, but because he's actually Uno and says like, oh, you didn't expect to see me among the heroes. Like they're kind of implying that he got to join them, which I agree. Like he didn't really do enough to necessarily justify that. Yeah. But also, does it mean that, does that, I'm starting to get, you know, I'm sure this is book stuff that will be answered, but just to state it, wouldn't there be a version of Matt that showed up too if he's always a member? But I guess if you're if you're spit out, you don't show up when the horn is blown. Yeah, like well, so yes, I think when you're when you are spit out, you are no longer now a spirit who is among them because yeah. you're in the real world until you die again. Until and you then die you again. rejoin them. Got it. Maybe that's my that's my take on it. Again, it's been a while since I've read it. So let's talk. Let's move back to Lan and and uh, Moraine for a second here. Um, they're having this heart to heart. And they talk in and land brings up the whole equality thing. Yeah. And um, I actually found this moment quite touching and Maureen saying, you know, you were always my better. Um, and again, this is something that I think we've kind of built to with what I was talking about before. A little subtle, yeah. maybe, but I think it was there. I think it, it was expected. Like, I kind of assumed that she was there was something at play like this, that she wasn't going to be a total asshole to him and just yeah. say, like, you're my inferior. But it was satisfying, like you said, like it's still it still did yeah. hit. And I like those those performances those actors are absolutely incredible and i think that they're working they're doing a lot of work that the material is having to catch up with yeah i think that they're they're sort of elevating the material in a lot of ways and so and for I, them to like and, and then to reestablish the bond i thought was yes. very emotional all that the way it really looked cool. it yeah. like tied them together and it was all swirly and again they're in this stunning location yeah um i thought all that was really cool and then they go back to back and and then land fights like 20 dudes and she yeah. starts like destroying an armada with her with her weaves and i was like oh so nice of the shanshan to come running down onto the beach to give land something to do because otherwise he's standing around while she's doing all the important stuff <laughs> for sure for sure he just he gets to catch an arrow out of the air and all kinds of shit oh yeah that was pretty cool it's pretty <laughs> awesome and then let's we, we go back to like what's happening inside the city whereas like the battle has been moved into the city um, and it's just kind of being fought among the streets, which I think is kind of a, a smart way to like keep the scale sh close. Like you're never going to see big battlefields full of all kinds of soldiers. You kind of always see like maybe 50 to 100 at a time. Yeah. That way you don't have to like yeah. figure out a way to have a thousand people on screen at the same time. Um, that kind of makes sense um, as much as I did kind of miss some of the stuff we get from the book. But um, late uh, uh, Turok here and Rand confrontation Oh, I see. Let's see what they've uh, what what it takes to have a heron mark blade on this side of the ocean. He yeah. pulls out his sword and he looks like he's getting ready for this badass fight, which we know in the book. You know, oh, two blade masters fighting. It's gonna be so cool. And then Rand channels kills everybody with uh, and it looks like kind of the ice thing, like the the dagger thing that he saw Suen do it was kind of similar to that, maybe. Pretty um, terrible death, too. Right at the throats, just kill, yeah. get all, slash all the throats. Very uh, huge display of power from Rand in a very like targeted way, like a very like precision way, but also like, I don't know. How did you feel about this? This this was a little bit deflating to me because I thought this was such a big moment for Rand in the book. Budgetary cut here, I think a little bit. I think they, cut, they cut for time, cut for time. It's, you know, the, the choreography that you would want to show off for two Blade Masters fighting, I think would take like a, an entire season of choreography buildup for them to like really pull it off. And yeah, um, I think we'll see that eventually. I just think now wasn't necessarily the, the best time for them to show that. I also wanted to talk about this random thing with Inktar. Inktar's death in the book plays out quite differently. It's like he's revealed that he actually is a dark friend. And then Rand ends up forgiving him and he has this self-sacrifice moment here. He still self-sacrifices, but we get none of that context and it feels very out of the blue. He's just like, 
I think uh, one man could hold off 50 people here. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I, I think they could. And then they like walk a few feet and he's like, all right, I'm off. And he yeah. just runs off and just like throws himself like, at the He's like, for the light and something. Yeah. And he, and he like, just yeah, dies. And I'm down. like, as a show watcher, this must have made no sense, right? Like, because yeah. this character has been around for a while and he's done a lot. And he's very serious about like, we got to get the horn out of here. We got to do this. And then he's persuaded. Yeah. And then he's like, you know what that means? Time to time to do business and then he just gets torn apart he just gets overwhelmed by these people yeah and it's also they do the frustrating thing that they like to do on tv where like one character is sacrificing himself so everybody can escape and so the other characters just kind of stand around and watch it yeah instead of moving yep and it's like by the time the, the character is actually dead they're like i guess now we'll go and it's i get it, it's because you want the characters to like witness the sacrifice but you're also like kind of fucking up the whole point of it if you're not going to use this time that he's buying you to get the hell out of there yeah and, bit weird bit weird yeah and obviously like not having him be the dark friend and the whole rant thing they just didn't too complicated didn't have time to set it up probably i would love to get maybe next season they'll do it maybe not but i would love to like you mentioned it before give us 10 to 12 episodes of this show because that would help with the pacing issues and i know that the budget would inflate but it would help with some of the pacing issues and then you can have the moments like ingtar sacrificing himself being revealed as a dark friend and then and then turning back to light and then Rand seeing that sacrifice and that being something that you know, builds up, be, it becomes the foundation for this hero, this, this, the dragon reborn and all the sacrifices that, that went into him being where he is in, you know, the eventual, whenever yeah. he's like, you know, the Messiah of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So let, focusing in on Egwin now, she is being taken by the Soldom Rena to this tower. They're going to defend the city. Um, and she says, like, if you fucking <laughs> try not to do something I tell you to do, I'm going to cut your tongue out and cut your hands off and all this shit. Um, and they go up to the tower. And at first she sees some white cloaks, Egwene does. And she's like, yeah. all right, I'll blast them. Well, and the white cloaks are like, burn the witches, burn the witches. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, I mean, like, fuck, these guys are bad guys, man. I'll kill <laughs> yeah. some bad guys. Yeah. And then, uh, but then of course that her, you know, that changes a little later when she sees it's like innocent people now that she's supposed to be blasting and she refuses. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the trebuchets get launched uh, from the the Children of the Light. The whole Children of the Light attacking the city thing, I got to say, very haphazard, not very believable. There's like eight children with these like cinchers that they're waving that apparently created an entire mist so big that it can enshroud an entire army, including a bunch of trebuchets that they're dragging along with them um, from anybody seeing it. Yeah, from the entire I, city of Holland. I kind of assumed that that was like partially like the like a a dust up of sand and then they also were adding like smoke as like a ceremonial thing but maybe I don't know Perrin said like that doesn't belong here when he saw it so I think it's just supposed to have been created by them yeah wild amen and without some sort of magical boosting which they definitely don't have because they're very against magic yeah I just didn't believe this was possible (laughs) sure yeah neither do I I thought it was what was meant to happen yeah yeah we just rush it get in there whatever have them be there um, uh, Egwene's yeah. battle, her fight back. So they, you know, it gets the tower gets hit, and then everybody's down except for her and the Rena, I believe her name is. And um, Rena, yeah. their final confrontation, and the way that Egwene figures out that the Adam is only working because they're channeling as well, worked for me. I like that change. Yeah. Um, and also Agreed. the fact that, like, the, I, so I both like and dislike a couple of things that happen here. Nynaeve, uh, kind of had figured out how to take care of the callers and she comes and helps Egwene thereby saving Egwene. I like that Egwene You're saved her in the book. In the book, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, so she saves Egwene and then that gives Nynaeve something cool to do that's really relevant. And But it, it takes away some of the agency of Egwene sort of fighting yeah. back and doing all this on her own, which I understand that change. But the, the effects of that are 
Nynaeve did, and, and Elaine don't have anything to do here. They and unfortunately, <laughs> they, they fabricated like Elaine getting hit with an arrow. Yeah. And then Nynaeve is just like, well, I can't do anything for it. I'm going to shove it through your leg. And then we're going to we're going to walk all the way up the tower so that we can another be there for the terrible TV cliche moment. Feathers and everything still on the end of it. She doesn't break it off. She just pushes the whole goddamn thing through. Yeah. Also, just don't do it. Like and like, I know it just seems like a silly nitpick, but like people in real life are going to get objects sometimes like it can happen to you in a traumatic accident something is stabbed into you. They will think about the TV shows they've seen and think they need to pull that thing out, push it through. They're going to need to do some bullshit to it because that is for yeah. some reason important. Pee on it. You know, yeah. Don't like pee on it. <laughs> yeah. Leave that fucking thing alone. It's better off in you. You're going to just bleed out to death. You're going to bleed so much faster to death after getting that, pushing that thing through than you ever would have done if you just left it in there until you could actually get healed by somebody. You know what will um, also make you bleed out faster if you do pull it out is climbing an entire tower of stairs yeah. to be there at the final battle. She just had to push it through, and then she was okay at that yeah. point. She was just fine. Well, it's just frustrating. So so that, that we are poking fun because it's like they didn't have anything else to do so they made this up and then it's yep. frustrating that like all this stuff goes down but and nynaeve again still couldn't channel and do anything yeah I, that was a, a bummer weird that's like she, she i would have liked to see anything her heal, final episode. do a little bit of healing or something again Egwene saving herself points for that that's that's awesome that's cool that's great i be. do like that change you know seeing the final confrontation her figure it out i thought that showed her agency she's clever well she's, and her getting you know, her besting rena ultimately you know that's way more rewarding yeah. than nynaeve coming in and, sort and of i was also happy that she let her die too i was like you know that like some characters sometimes like will say oh i'm gonna I'm let little, this character live i'm a little torn about it it was pretty merciless but she had like sort of promise i'm gonna kill you I do wonder if this is going to be something where we'll see Egwene sort of return to later, if she'll have any, you know, conflicted feelings about it after the fact. Um, yeah. You know, maybe this is just a little bit of like uh, Star Wars, like getting to me of like, don't give in to the dark, <laughs> you know, yeah, sure. be better than them. Um, yeah. But um, no, they decided to go the more like, no, fuck you. Uh, I'm going to let you slowly choke in front of me for what hey, you've man. done to me. Consequences of your actions are a real thing. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. Uh yeah, yeah, no, totally. I just, uh, it's like uh, the story at times doesn't feel like that's what it is, but then it can be. So maybe I'm just wrong on that. And maybe that's, I mean, Perrin, and maybe Perrin or the show version's live. a little different, maybe. Yeah, Perrin would have yeah. let her live for sure because that's his, that's his character. And I don't, I guess I don't know. Yeah, he let, he let that Bornhold character live at one point, right? Yeah. Because he gave her, he gave her water is what he said to Evanda. Yeah. And to talk about yeah. the parents stuff too with Hopper that we have to address. I just having having just lost my dog recently, it was too much yeah. for me. And I thought that they like went out of their way to make it more more brutal than it needed to be. Yeah. Uh, with Hopper's death. And it's it's devastating. They show the cute dog like dying. It's so sad, man. It's so And Hopper bad. like dies in the book, but Hopper dies self like in a self-sacrificing way, taking out a few people and um sort of succumbing to his wounds. I remember correct. I can't remember exactly how it played out, but I remember it being different. This was just kind of like arbitrary. The dog is like attacking Valda. I think it was killing him. And then um, Joffrim just comes up with his ax and just takes it right to the back of this dog's neck. Um, and then, yeah, we focus in on this like cute dog's eyes. It's like whimpering and bleeding out. Yeah. Um, it, it was like so heavy handed and 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 kind of like obvious emotional manipulation and the kind of thing that like i don't know dogs and and pets dying in general is such a difficult thing 
to put on screen and do well and to not turn people completely off from the show. Um, so I, I just don't think this is particularly handled well. Me either. Yeah, it was too much. And it wasn't, it was so that Perrin would run around and then kill one guy too. Like it yeah. just, it, it didn't make sense. And they felt like they needed to put it back in and it just, it didn't work. Yeah. Unfortunately. He kills, he kills, uh, I think it's Dane Bornhold. It kills his father, Joffrem. Yeah. Um, which clearly that's going to be important going forward. The fact that he sees him kill him and knows that it was him. Um, Perrin flies into a rage. His eyes turn golden. Um, but Perrin, like as much as we're, I, I, I want to circle back to Perrin and say that like, as much as I've been giving them credit for like what they've been doing with Matt and like improvements to Egwene's storyline, I still am not liking Perrin in the show. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with the performer either. I actually like the performer a lot. Yeah. He's okay. He hasn't had a lot to do. He hasn't had a lot, a lot yeah. of like good moments to work with. Like we, like we finally got with Egwene here. Like we need, we haven't got anything like that for him yet. Maybe that'll come. But yeah, I've just been so, uh, I don't know, this the, Perrin as a character is just not translating well for me. Doesn't feel like the same guy. Um, the writing around it has just not been as, as clever as it has been elsewhere. Feels like they don't really know what to do with it at times. Um, sometimes it feels tacked on. The Hopper stuff felt tacked on. It was really weird when he just tells him to stay out in the middle of the fucking desert. So yeah. you just stay here. And I'm like, what? You can't just stay there. What are you talking about? It's just, it's, it's all I hope that uh, the major improvements that are done in, in season three are for Perrin's character. I hope that that that, you know, is remedied quickly because he's one of my favorite I characters. So. I said it. I said it in the books. Um, he he is maybe my favorite character from the series. And it's been it's been pretty awful what they've done with the character so far. in yeah. the show. Starting all the way back to episode one. So, <laughs> yeah. So this brings us to the final battle here with the Shamael. Um, you know, they, I'm all for the power of friendship. And I'm all for like these characters being so meaningful to the story that them together are stronger than they are individually and everything like that. This was the most heavy handed thing they did this season. I'm fine with it happening this way. I think that it's a culmination and it's fun. And I like that they're all together. I, I, I like the like ultimately like what happens here. But man, it was convenient for everyone to end up there. Elaine to do the healing so that Rand could then fight. And then obviously like Moraine knocking down the fleet in time to to get his shielding taken off. Well, we didn't talk about Matt. Yeah. Matt with the with the spear throw. What'd yep. you think of that moment? I'm fine with it ultimately. It, it, it just like it fulfills like, this prophecy that we didn't get in the books. Yeah, they needed to him, show it. He's the one stabbing him in the book. Uh Shamael is the one who stabs Rand in the side. Yeah. Instead it's it's sort of Matt's spear fling here accidental he throws oh, it is okay Ashamael disappears and it hits yeah, it was Rand. like an illusion um, yeah. and it's like a magical dagger obviously so it's fucking him up more than just like a normal stab would yeah well we've seen it like instantly fucking people up yeah and it gets healed by elaine and then it's got some like weird black stuff oh it's it gross still, so it's looking it's pretty looking. bad so it's it feels mess up like his... that's gonna be a continued problem going forward right yeah and it's gonna mess up our our leads like super hot jacked bod next time he's yeah. shirtless with landfear and, yeah and... <laughs> Sliced up the abs a little bit. Come on. Yeah. So many crunches he has to do to keep those. Yeah. I like again. I like Egwene sort of like being the one who's doing most of the work here at the end. She's like shielding and like he's like firing. Ashamael's firing all these blasts. Yeah. Ashamael does like the one thing I will give you because like I'm I'm ultimately kind of okay with this because the whole ending of book two and the fight in the sky and like it's so weird and conceptual and hard to picture. And I like the idea of just like bringing them all together and having them all there at this moment. But Shamael just keeps firing these little like fireballs yeah. at this shield. Yep. 
and doesn't ever change his tactic at all. He just keeps doing it as the, like, it's clearly not working. And this is like one of the most clever characters we've ever seen, right? Like he's always like three steps ahead. And this is just like, all right, I guess I'll just keep firing fireballs at you until you stand up and are able to come and figure it out. So, and then just his death, his death was too quick too. like Rand just walked up, powered, powered up his sword, got it all flamed up and he got his hair yeah. mark, you know, brand. I mean, it does kind of go down that way in the book though. <laughs> like they have a very short fight and then he gets stabbed and then his hair and mark blade melts and he gets branded on the hand. Like, and that all spread yeah. out of the book. I, it just felt with, with all the buildup and everything and then all the characters being there and it just felt like, I don't know. I, I wanted a little more from it. I'm not as low as I was in season one with like the finale yeah. here. But it, it just felt like really, really contrived. Like it was something that I've seen before. I would be more upset about this because I did really like, uh, I think it was Faris Faris, uh performance. He, I think he was a standout from this season. I didn't give him enough credit earlier. I think I think Ishmael was really good. Yeah. But I think the the emergence of Landfear makes me okay with, with Ishmael getting sort of killed off here. And then I like the reveal at the end where it's like, oh, Shamael figured you weren't going to help him and you were going to betray him. So he went ahead and released all the other Forsaken, which yeah. is a cool little reveal at the end there. <laughs> oh, I'm excited for that. You know, that leaves me wanting more for sure. But I, I also want to say, too, like the whole projection in the sky of the battle and everything like that. I was cool with the dragon. I thought the dragon coming out is a signal. It's plenty for yeah. me. It's all I needed to, to, you know, show everyone that the dragon has been reborn. The dragon's here. I thought it looked pretty cool overall. Yeah. I wasn't that wasn't any of the problem I had. Moraine's able to to craft it with her power she's yeah. you know showing off a lot of power now that she's oh, not yeah. shielded anymore i actually really love the way that they depicted it too like her she was like bent over and the way that she's like like bending all of it, it yeah. it's she very... like catches uh um there's like flames being shot from one of the ships and she like yeah. catches one and turns it into that flame dragon thing right so it's not just something she's doing purely created whole cloth from the power she's like borrowing something that exists in the world and changing it to this yeah. flame dragon which is cool well that's what she did with the initial explosions too i'm just talking about the way that she weaved all the stuff on the beach all of her weaving on the beach looked really fucking cool and, and yeah. like i was they went like super shallow depth of field with it too and it looked really cinematic and in general i like the way they're they're handling the magic here we're seeing all kinds of different ways in which you can use the one power to like wreck havoc and kill people and do many different things like it's it, it, early on in the show. I remember that was a criticism was it didn't feel that they varied enough. And here we're we're getting a lot more of that. The final Forsaken that we see there at the end with the spider web looking thing. Yeah, was... Mo, Mo Gideon, I think is how they say it in the show. I, I've never really known how to pronounce that name. Um, very cool. Very spider like, uh, you know, trapped she, in a web. She traps yeah. land fear with this like weird spidery thing, like a web like thing and um, has a different whole vibe than land fear. And I like how she said, you know, like you and Ishmael, you're too close to Rand. You always like, you know, treat him like your him. friend and went yeah. easy on him. Um, the rest of us never had that problem. And yeah. um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm excited to see some more Forsaken. I'm excited to see the way they interact with each other, because, again, I think those scenes always shined here. Definitely a great way to tease me into the next season and, and into more of the story. It's like, OK, there's the threat that's going to be there. We know kind of what Rand is going to have to deal with now that he's been revealed as the dragon. So I'm I'm really excited and I like where it left off as much as maybe that conflict didn't necessarily like culminate in my imagination, what I thought was going on, um, what I what I imagined was was a little bigger than this. But it you know, it was good. It was good for what it was. And, and some of the better episodes this season really blew me away. Good season overall improvement from season one for sure. But what we got to do here at the end of our coverage is compare it to the book. 
since that's what we do. So the question yeah. is, what's better, book two, The Great Hunt, or season two of this show? Yeah, I'll go first, and I'll keep it pretty brief. I really like this show. I said before, it's one of my favorite fantasy shows right now, and I think it's because, like, as far as high fantasy is concerned, it's it's very expensive to create. There's not a ton of it going on right now. I just love this type of story. I love like epic sagas that go on forever and really interesting character work that that evolves over time. So this this show did a lot of things that I that I agreed with. I like a lot of the changes they made. The tons of improvements from the first season. A lot of these performances, I'm starting to be like, oh my god, they may have struck gold with some of these performers. Like finding them young as unknowns. Um, and I think, you know, specifically the women in the cast, the, the guys yeah. are developing and I think Matt's doing pretty well. Rand's all right. And hopefully Perrin gets a little better. I, I don't yeah. think the performers are the issue at all. I just like to see them continue to, to, to maybe slow down the pace a little bit, let us live with these characters. And, and because of all of that, I'm going to have to go with the, the source itself. It's one power, the true, <laughs> the true one source. Yeah. Uh, Robert Jordan's The Great Hunt. I just I just had so much fun with it and it, it is sort of a throwback fantasy story and there's like yeah. maybe it, it it's lingers a little long but that's what these kinds of stories do and and like I love just like getting these breadcrumbs that eventually build into this like insane massive you know magic really well realized magical world. Uh I'll keep it brief as well. I'm going to go with the book. Um I think season 1 it was no 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 contest really. It was obviously the book was better. Um, here I had a moment where I thought like, you know, there's some things I liked in the show that where I thought it was kind of an improvement. I, I, I you know, gosh, Lanfear and that dress and the, and the dream world, <laughs> you know, that, that, that earns a lot of points for me. Um, but ultimately, yeah, it's, it's hard to top the, the actual source. Um, and I, I will give it to Robert Jordan here, but overall, man, this has been a really fun coverage. It's good. It's great to get to Epic fantasy. That's not something we get to cover a lot. Um, on this show because there's just not a lot of adaptations of it. Um, I'm excited about a future season, you know, down the road. I hope we get to go, come back to it for that. That'll be the plan. Um, if you wanted to buy any of these books, by the way, the Wheel of Time books, I have them all on our bookshop, which is always linked in the show notes. Um, and if you buy them through the bookshop, you actually we actually get like a little piece of it and you help the, our show. And oh, and stick around to the end of this episode where we're going to announce our next coverage because we're going to tackle another show. And if you wanted to support the podcast in another way, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash ink to film. And you can support on there for as little as $2 a month. There's many different tiers, but basically for the $2 tier, you can get our bonus content that we put out monthly. And then also higher tiers will get you things like t-shirts and mugs. And so, so check that out if you're interested. Uh, another way that won't cost you any money that you could help the show out is leave us a rating and review on whatever app you chose to listen on. Or if you're on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and you know maybe ring that little bell and turn on notifications and all that stuff that YouTubers say. Um, that does help the show. Uh, comment, honestly, giving us comments helps uh, us, first off, engage with you, talk to you. We like to do that, but also boosts us in the algorithms so we're all trying to so all starting uh, trying to please the great algorithm uh these days yeah and be sure to connect with us on social media we're on facebook twitter and instagram all of those at ink to film we're also on tiktok and quite a few other places so look for us there and also thank you to serious beat for the track the chosen which serves as our intro and outro music all right, real quick here at the end, we're going to announce our next project. We are actually off next week. We'll be releasing a From the Vault episode. Um, but then when we're coming back, we're going to do our Halloween project. And uh, we thought it would be appropriate to get into Edgar Allan Poe. 
Uh, we will be diving into a lot of his most uh, famous works. We're going to do some research and figure out which ones are confirmed to be adapted in the show that we're, is going to be corresponding with it, which is The Fall of the House of Usher, the latest Mike Flanagan adaptation coming to Netflix very soon. Um, and we'll be dividing that up, I think, into two parts, much like we did with Wheel of Time here in the show. Um, so look forward to that as our next big project. I'm really excited about it. Really, really pumped to get into Edgar Allan Poe. Um, which is just such a legend in horror and somebody that we haven't been able to get into yet. Yeah, totally. I love Poe's work too, especially when I was a teenager. I read the hell out of some Edgar Allan Poe and uh, I'll be excited to return to it. And I like Mike Flanagan's work a lot so far. So it'll be, you know, third time I think we've covered some of the material. So yeah, yeah, totally. Thank you for coming along this epic journey with us. And until next time, keep adapting. Keep adapting.